0: Welcome to More to Come, P.W. Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing recorded at our various places of shelter around the major metropolitan New York area. Uh, I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly, uh, n- a- a- Editor of P.W. Comics World, and Editor of the Fanatic P.W.'s Comics and Pop Culture Newsletter. Check us out online at uh, publishersweekly.com slash comics
1: and I'm Heidi McDonald. I am the editor-in-chief of The Beat at ComicsBeat.com. And you can check us out on social, uh, on Twitter, yes, at, at PWComicsWorld.
2: And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm a podcast producer, and you can find us online on Tumblr at pwcomicsworld.tumblr.com.
0: Uh, and don't forget, uh, you can subscribe to more to come on iTunes and on Facebook. We're at facebook.com slash pwcomicsworld.
1: And also, don't forget that you can let us know how we're doing. Send us an email, leave us a rating on iTunes or any other podcast platform. We love to hear from our listeners.
0: Hit us up. We're, we, you know, we could use the we could use the conversation, and, and yes. uh, uh, we would love to hear from our listeners. All yes, right. We
1: need any human contact? We can <laughs> yes, address, don't right? we so all? Please, yeah, reach out. Uh,
0: Alright, this week on More to Come, uh, The Purge. A really a week or two of, uh, reckoning in the comics industry, uh, with, uh, some asides on Dark Horse, TCAF, CVLDF, and no doubt other things I'm leaving out. Um, uh, Steve Jeppy returns to take charge, uh, at Geppy Family uh, Enterprises. Uh, on this is on the business side. Uh, we've got some new positions. Joe Illich, uh, gets a new job and uh and Jim Killens uh leaves an old job. Uh, uh uh and we'll talk about the year without a Comic-Con. Uh and an Eisner a spectacular Eisner voting glitch. Uh and uh the news briefs. So, uh hi everybody. Hello.
1: Where <laughs> shall we begin?
0: Yeah, it's uh it's it's a sort of a grim podcast, at least part of it will be. Um but uh we 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 just report the news.
2: Yeah. yeah, we we are not like writing season uh what? <laughs> season 94 of United States Comics Industry. Mm. Uh what a terrible season this is if we were. No, no. Yep. Just here t- trying to take give you our take on it. Um Yeah.
1: And I I mean I, you know last time we were here we were talking about the sexual misconduct allegations against Warren Ellis and Cameron Stewart and since then um uh, it's just gone on, and uh, you know the only tip thing of the iceberg a tip time. Of the iceberg, but also just to be clear uh, that uh just to perhaps to make us feel a little bit better, it is not just comics okay every a lot of industries, the video game industry is also going through this. I know cards against humanity, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people step down, the wrestling world has been rocked by incredible allegations um and I you know those are just the ones that I was paying attention to sure and, uh,
0: and look at the mention the
2: ice cream museum, yeah,
0: yeah, um. And of course the Black Lives Matter movement has focused its efforts on book publishing. Mm-hmm. Uh talk about publishing so white. So yeah. Uh every industry out here now is is uh, under scrutiny. Yeah. Uh, and I
1: yeah, and it's um, you know, it's painful. I mean, I will say here and back at Comics Ranch, um the, it you know it's been a very rough two weeks. I would mm-hmm. just say it's been a very rough two weeks for me personally, just because you know, look, we we know these people. Yes. Okay, we've interacted with these people, and also, I mean, we've interacted with both the abusers and the victims. I mean, reading some of these accounts of uh, uh you know harassment and and assault is just horrifying.
0: Yeah. So I think we need to say the names, I guess, at some point.
1: Yeah. So well, I guess the you know the I think. The one that had the greatest impact was uh, Dark Horse Comics, so mm-hmm. Sean Gore. Now, we've talked down here before about uh, former Dark Horse editor-in-chief, Scott Alley. Yes. Um, having been uh, at San Diego five years ago, uh, he bit and groped a comics freelancer in the bar. There was uh, some outcry after that, surprisingly. But, yeah. Um, unsurprisingly i was a sarcastic surprisingly Mm. by the way people um and how and he lost his title as editor-in-chief and but and he eventually left dark horse but not for a couple years and at the time his excuse was that he drank too much and now he was sober which you know what that's that's that is good okay that is good if you are getting help for your addictive addiction problems um however uh former dark horse Editor Shauna Gore revealed that Ali had sexually harassed her over a period of like 14 years. I know.
0: It's disturbing.
1: <laughs> it's disturbing. And a very, very graphic and disturbing account of uh, actions and, and things that Ali said. And um, even though he isn't employed by Dark Horse anymore, he's still employed as a freelance editor. And mm. you know, within the hour, Mike Mignola who had employed Ali as a Dark Horse, as a Hellboy editor, you know, said, mm. "You know, I I believe Shauna. Goodbye, Scott Alley." But that was just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, that was like kind of the like that broke the dam for a lot of things. I'll say Shauna's account was just so shocking, and that she had to put up with it. And she did try to complain about it. It's Mm. not like she didn't, you know, go to HR and attempt to get some something done, but nothing was done. And then Jay added in another former Dark Horse editor, came on and talked about his experiences mm-hmm. and there was just more and more and more. It yeah. was very, very, very
2: disheartening to read.
0: I mean, it's very disturbing because, I mean, Scott had an enormous amount of power at Dark Horse.
2: Yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't know the names of a whole lot of editors, especially ones not at the big two, but, you know, his name was definitely around. I oh, knew for it. for
0: sure.
1: Yeah. I mean, course, he edited Mignola. Chief of, he was the editor-in-chief of yeah. the you know, number four comic book company. I yeah. mean, or three, depending on what month it is. Yeah. So yeah, he was a, a individual. And I mean, it wasn't just uh Sean Agore's account, it was just everybody talking yeah. about him mm-hmm. just being a very abusive boss and um, you know, casting a pall over over the editorial department.
0: Yeah. And
1: um, you know, uh that's bad, I don't even know what to say, yeah, it's just bad and yeah. go on calvin no i I
0: mean, I don't really have anything more to add to it it's It's just bad, it's disturbing. It went on for far too long. It's hard to imagine uh that uh dark Horse leadership didn't- didn't know anything about this or did they look the other way, or they just i don't know, but um. I mean, I mean, Shauna was also a very, uh, prominent editor at Dark Horse. Yeah. I mean, and
1: she, she was, and she still is. She still works yeah. at Oni. And, you know, I'll say I'm friends with Shauna. She's the nicest person who mm-hmm. ever lived. I mean, literally. And, you know, she has just kept on with her career in comics. You know, she has stayed as an editor. She was at Lion Forge. Now she's at Oni. And, you know, the utmost professionalism, uh, you know, really, really respected and liked by the freelancers she works with. And you know what a testament to her to to you know to endure this to survive this and to remain at the top of her game you mm-hmm. know so I mean you know I mean it's 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 nobody likes to be tagged as a survivor but she sure is you yeah. know and I yeah. really 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 res- I mean all respect to Shauna Gore all yeah. respect to uh, Shauna no Gore.
0: for sure for sure yeah.
1: so you know let's go down I think that you know we're all still kind of shell shocked let's go down some of these other massive yeah. um, um, accounts and then maybe I, I think. Really the, what we should talk about um, is um, is uh, you know what the 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 prognosis is for some of these um, institutions yeah um, and, and Kate we can't see you because we're doing this, so you know just jump in if you need to jump in all right I mean, you guys
2: know these people more and have been in this industry longer like and much more intimately than I myself. Um you know it's it's definitely a a more personal reckoning for you guys. Um I'm I'm sort of hanging back a bit until well, I feel I, know, I have something I, to contribute. Yeah. But
1: I think that you,
2: you know, I think your no, your
1: viewpoint as, as
2: someone who isn't as deeply entrenched in this is very very valuable, you know. I think so, I think as someone who's not as deeply entrenched in this it's disheartening especially when people are like, "Oh, we all know." like (laughs) oh we all knew we knew about that for 10 years it was terrible what you gonna do and it's just like how much of this is there like like it's it's like a foundation of like of like open secrets and bad behavior and you just wonder like how far down does it go um yeah. Well, we got more. We might have more to more to come on yeah, that. To say that. Yeah. I, rarely have I ever so little wanted to say there will be more to come. <laughs> Should be the headline. Should be the headline of this episode.
1: Well, anyway, all right. Let's move on. I wish there wasn't more to come. You know, there was none, none to come. Um, well, to, to move on to another one. Uh, if you listen to this podcast, you know that Calvin and I, if there's one thing that we both love more than almost anything, it's my favorite thing is Monsters. No, it's TCAF. Okay. We also love my favorite thing is Monsters. We do. But, but, uh, but, but we love TCAF. We, we love on, that show. Yeah. Um. I mean, how many times, Calvin, have we sat here rhapsodizing about TCAF?
0: It's the greatest show. It's really the best show in North America. Um, yeah,
1: it is. Yeah. 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 Okay.
0: Um, Yes. Uh, so yeah, I, go ahead.
1: we've talked about how awesome it is in Canada and Canada and Toronto and how they seem to be so much, you know, there's so many admirable things about Canada and all of that. And we love the show, we love the show, we love the show. Well, a little bit of a bummer um, and really a shocker for me, I have to be honest, that this week uh Chris Butcher, the director – of TCAF stepped down from his role, uh, and he, he said there were several reasons. Uh, number one was that he he needed personal time. And it, you know, I follow Chris on social media, and there had been some signs. I, I do think between TCAF, you know, between COVID and and TCAF, everything being canceled, I think it was very hard for him. So he needed sure. to take time off for his own personal. And then also he wanted to bring along the next level of people who could run the show, yeah. which is something that you you face. But then he also mentioned that there were that the show had not been racially uh diverse enough and that it had not been inclusive of black and indigenous peoples. And uh this was in response to a Twitter thread by uh I think it was Victor Martins is his name. I think
0: so, yeah. I think that was, was his a name.
1: former former Tcaf volunteer and it was really a devastating thread that talked about how at meetings that the um, you know the non-white male uh people at the meetings the volunteers uh, were not listened to yeah and mm. they were not promoted and they weren't given yeah you know they were they were marginalized they were further marginalized and unfortunately there was quite a few accounts that said this is something that had been ongoing and you know that I don't even know what to say. I mean the show celebrated manga so much and comes from around the world and always had an incredibly diverse guest list yeah. but you know what you got to have it got to be if,
0: throughout the organization it's gotta it really does
1: got to be in the back room
0: mm-hmm. too. I mean from, from what I've read of uh, this cartoonist account I mean it, it's pretty shocking. I mean we've all known uh, uh, Chris Butcher for many years. Uh, he's a co-founder. He's kind of a vision. He's, you know, in in some ways he's a visionary and, uh, and, uh, he, you know, he ran the beguiling for many years as well as, uh, uh, co-founding, uh, TCAF with Peter Berkamo, the, um, not the owner of the beguiling. Um, uh, so, I mean, Chris, uh, Identified, uh, some personal uh, health reasons that he needed to step down, but he was, but he also said that, uh, he played, bl- he took responsibility that he had, uh, not taken this seriously and that, uh, black and indigenous people, uh, just didn't receive the kind of recognition and inclusion that they deserve. Though certainly, um, TCAF always seemed to me one of the most extraordinarily diverse Comics Festivals uh, I ever attended.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I think like...
0: Uh, yeah, as far you know, as programming certain, is concerned. Yeah,
1: and among attendees. I mean, it was so diverse. I mean, racially, uh, gender-wise, I mean, it was incredibly yeah. friendly It always had programming. uh, You know, it always mentioned indigenous people. I mean, I learned more about comics from indigenous creators at TCAF than yeah. any other show. And, you know, I, I, I look, I'm not going to minimize this because no. it counts very they're all true, you know, yeah. so I'm not going to, I mean, there's no question that, that there was not as much, um, you know, that, that marginalized people were further, further marginalized. But, um, you know, I will say I do think that, um, you know, TCAF's failure would be many other
0: shows' success. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, i rec- I mean, I've moderated panels at, at TCAF as I, as you have, Heidi, I'm sure. The first time I ever, uh, you know, you get a little, uh, script before as the moderator of things they expect you to say. Before I, this happened anywhere else, I noticed in my script, you were, uh, they, they asked you to pay tribute to the native peoples who lived in this area, you know, before, uh, you know, the, the hotel and the research, uh, you know, and the, and the reference library took it over. That, that was the first the very first time I saw that in a script, uh, for the moderators to call out to the audience, uh, but uh, you know, leadership require requires you to 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 have outreach, to have inclusion, and it's got to be part of your whole plan.
1: Absolutely, especially in comics, because yeah. you know the comics industry of right now, because we have seen an explosion of the quality of comics, you know, and the explosion of readership at comics and by because there are so many diverse voices out there, you know? And so anyway, I, I mean yeah, I mean that was just that was just a, a gigantic bummer. I mean, bummer is not – I'm just using that yeah. word because I don't even know. Just a disappointment. Like so – it was crushing to me. It was crushing to me to know that behind the scenes that this had been going on. Sure. So uh, I yeah. feel the
0: same way. I, 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 I couldn't agree with you more.
1: Well, so one more crusher. Calvin, you want to tackle this one?
0: <laughs> well, I mean, um, I mean obviously there's a continuing fallout from uh, Charles Brownstein's resignation uh as uh, executive D- director of the comic book legal defense fund um you know due to uh the uh, renewed allegations of uh, you know misconduct and abuse uh but there's more uh, as you know three board members <clears throat> uh this week um you know decided to leave uh leave the industry so le- or excuse me leave the board of the CBLDF and they the, the those board members among the board members, I mean, Paul Levitt's obviously the former uh, uh, president and publisher of DC Comics. He retired from the board, um, but board members, um, uh, Jeff Abraham, who is al- also the president of Penguin Random House Publisher Services, one of the biggest distribution uh, vendors in the world, uh, he resigned from his position on the board, and a librarian, uh, Catherine Keller, also um uh, resigned from the board. In addition, uh, the CBLDF board, uh, um, you know, essentially issued an apology to their constituencies, um, apologized for how they've handled this, their communications around the most recent events, uh, and they, you know, they have vowed, uh, to conduct a, a national search for a new executive director, uh, uh, they have vowed to look at and expand and reimagine the organization's mission. Uh, and, uh, they have vowed to become a better organization, uh, at listening to what their consist- constituency tells them they want and need. So, um, yeah, uh, I think what Heidi mentioned earlier about, uh, these, uh, important institutions like the TCAF, CBLDF is, is a critical institution and i think we're all wondering you know what lies ahead how can these organizations uh be made better and move beyond this this uh these unfortunate uh, events
1: absolutely i mean i will say um in terms of the cbldf you know when the cbldf was funded um years ago its mission was very different and you know like it was founded for comics retailers who are in danger of being charged with obscenity because carrying comics that we do not consider obscene. Um, you know, Alan Moore and Melinda Gebby's Lost Girls was a mm. classic case where that was, you know, where there was great danger. It didn't really happen. Um, you know, people uh, try to get guts taken. They are uh, not guts, um, you know, drama. Raina Telgemeier is, uh, and Bone. Yeah. And... Um, and uh, you know this one's uh, uh, you know this one summer these books that are classics are considered you know banned books. So um, you know the CBLDF submission changed, and um, of course we could still have First Amendment issues. I mean we are not out of the woods. No, not at all. Things, but that's always that's not always going to come long back. Shot.
0: Yeah. I mean it what C- cbldf I mean what, what I mean CBLDF uh, um, uh, was launched to fight censorship. Uh, right. Over time, it has become. Uh, and aligned has itself with, uh, the, uh, the coalition of, of institutional anti-censorship organizations that stretch across the, the reading, film, movie world. Uh, the, the, the you know, it, it's a, in fact, I think the organization is called the Media Coalition. And this is, you know, APFI, the American Booksellers Association, Freedom of Expression, um, the Freedom to Read Foundation, um, the, these organizations work to protect the First Amendment rights of retailers, publishers, artists. I mean, CBLDF's focus is the comics industry, but it, it is part of a, a a justice league, you might say, or just a justice society of anti-censorship organizations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, its professionalism has has grown over time in its ability uh, to address and to to hire lawyers uh, and to fight for these things. Now, I do think the organization uh, has lost track of what its constituency uh, thinks it's there for, in my opinion. I
2: think think people hear Comic Book Legal Defense Fund, and they think, I am in the comic book industry – I need legal defense for something comic book related. Should they not help me? I think that's what people think.
0: Yeah, and and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, that's why I think CBLDF. Uh, now, look if you're if you're a comic book artist and uh, you make a book and somebody grabs it and says I, I don't want it, uh, I'm gonna uh, you're gonna be arrested for this. They're on your case. If someone files a yeah. civil lawsuit against you, that's A tricky proposition for them but you know what maybe they need to rethink how they do their business Um, uh and
2: and also you know if if somebody basically steals your work and doesn't pay you yeah uh or you know does any of
0: the various
2: things that come up so often in comics you know
0: that's absolutely the case that's absolutely the case uh, I mean, in the book world, uh, those kinds of functions—something, you know, the author's guild, for instance. You know, if you're not, you're getting, if you're, you know, getting your royalties are not right, yeah. or you know that. So, but, so yeah, I mean,
2: comics doesn't have the author's guild. Yeah. So, so I think people assume that that role is currently filled by the CBLDF. Uh, yeah, I, think I mean, you're maybe it right. isn't. Maybe there needs to be some other organization, or maybe the CBLDF can. You know, widen its umbrella to a few, you know, specifically stated reasonable things that would
0: fall under legal defense for comics. Well, I I agree 100 percent. I do think that they, you know, uh, what we're talking about is looking at your charter and Mm -hmm. rethinking it and redesigning it uh, in light. It's a very different world of comics we live in now than it was when the CBLDF was started.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, um, you know, I think one of the things that there's been a lot of talk about is, uh you, you know, defending comics journalism, you know, yeah. I mean, yeah. all of these stories, you know, I mean, in the past, I, I ran my own site, I didn't have money. I mean, mm. you know. Uh just, you know hand Money? what is systems. that we work in <laughs> comics yeah and it still is yeah, you know commercialism is not a way to make a living and you know i could not report on some stories at times because i did not have any legal I did not have legal aid case. I was sued. And hey, listen, I've had plenty of legal run-ins over the years, okay? And luckily, the worst one happened when I was with Lion Forge, and I never heard what happened. But, you know, it was – I didn't have to deal with it, and um, that's good. I think that's a good point,
0: Heidi. I think that's a really excellent point.
1: It absolutely does happen. And, you know, maybe that would be, you know, I'd never thought of going to the CBLDF though, for Mm. when these were happening to me, you know, because I knew it wasn't the kind of case that they would take on. Right. And, um, so, uh, but maybe in a new organization it is. And, and we really do need to look at, um, you know, what, what the need should be and what will serve the community. And, um, I mean, two years ago, when they, the you know eleven of the most beloved people in indie comics were, uh, the vict- you know victims of a lawsuit, uh, a libel, a lawsuit by Cody Pickrod. You know, they, they would had been accused of various sexual assault and, um, you know, uh, racism and so on. And uh, you know, this was a case of the CBLDF at that point said they could not, uh, could not. Take on, and that's really when people began to wonder, is this the organization that we want or need?
0: yeah, so um I think that these will be genuine conversations. I think the organization is is kind of shook right now yeah. mm-hmm. and um uh, but you know that's that's also in some ways that's a good place to be because you you you, know, you, you they they seem to be taking this seriously. The organization has got to kind of take a look at itself and see where it's going. You know, They're looking for a new national. They're looking for a new leader. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, Charles has been there for 17 years, something like that?
1: Yeah, since he was like 12 yeah. years old or something. So, yeah.
0: So, so yeah. Uh, uh, this, this is a, a major uh, 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 developmental move, a major reorganization, uh, a major culture change. Um, mm-hmm. that that we certainly hope and root for them to move through uh and to develop a new program for the coming world, a coming world that 's immeasurably more rich and complicated than the one in which uh it started
1: it, it, yeah absolutely i um, so I mean what do we think about decaf you know I mean, will they survive the loss of chris butcher uh, uh, I,
0: I mean, so. I have to believe they will how do you mm-hmm. how do you improve something that seems? almost shiny and perfect already obviously everything can be improved and certainly the relationships between its volunteers and the communities that depend on it has to be constantly worked on improved. um but certainly uh uh butcher left uh it seems to me the organization uh, at a good point um uh, they seem to be working. I think part of his blog post was talking about bringing together a new um, generation of, you know, operations people and um, and uh, board people. But hopefully, part of that vision is is, a, is an inclusive and diverse one too.
1: Yeah, and I mean, we have talked um, about this. I mean, this is part of you know. The COVID epoch, you know, everything is, the, this purge that we're having is painful, but I will say it's necessary. I mean, yeah. everybody understands that. It's just, we're, we're really, uh, in our isolation, alone together. We- so many institutions and I mean it's like I said comics it's, it's you know really a reckoning but it's everywhere right. everywhere you know in Hollywood everywhere is having this reckoning and having you know I I've said I think I've, I've been on so many podcasts since COVID began and you know talking about the industry and everything and everybody's always like you know Heidi what do you think everything I said look I know I've been in this business almost 40 years and I'm here for this to see the change, but I'm not going to be part of the change. You know, I've done my time. I Mm -hmm. have done my time. And, you know, I have started nonprofit organizations. I have seen them come and go. And so, you know, this is that, you know, Chris is right. I mean, Chris is a young guy. I mean, he's only Mm in his forties uh and um but you know you have to see the next generation come mm. up and and take the reins and yeah. um that's exactly what's happening and i'm 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 excited i hope yeah. i hope they don't kick me to the curb
0: and just and just for any any new, uh, new listeners on here uh when we say TCAF we're talking about the Toronto Comic Arts Festival uh it's like a what three day show usually in mid may it attracts 20 to 25,000 people you know across the three days uh it's an indie comic show uh held in a mammoth reference library um and uh it, it's the greatest vibe you're going to feel in comics uh, anywhere it's it's like the biggest little show you ever want to go to yeah um, and
1: it's um you know it's like i said so many people looking at the diversity of attendees and guests and programming yes. would think that this show was a success and like i said i i, I wish other shows had this yes in
0: in a university. in, a, and, in a, a vibrantly multicultural city I mean yes, Toronto yeah, is a fabulous city yeah
2: but Heidi um, in reference to what you were saying earlier yes you need to make room for newer generations but also I don't think I don't think that lets any of us off who are still participating in comics in one way or another from Growing and changing with the time.
1: Oh, 100%, absolutely. No, absolutely.
2: No. You know, like, I mean, I a mean, lot of people act like in order to make change or in order to grow or change, you know, that's for young people and, uh, well, I'm gonna leave it to the next generation. I'm, I'm a bridge president. And, <laughs> you know, I, I think, I think, Whatever your age, anyone of good faith can do better than that, and yes, you have to make room for for more people and new opinions, but you can also you can also look for new solutions yourself.
1: Oh, yeah, a hundred percent, and I, I I mean I'm not letting myself off the hook, absolutely. I have to be held to the community standards as well. I'm just saying it's like I you know. Uh, well, you know what? Our next story, actually, or their next institution to be talked about is actually one that's a lot more germane to this. So what will happen to Dark Horse? I mean, you know, owner, Mike Richardson. Yeah. Now, Mike, he sold 50% to... Right. Uh, to China, so he doesn't own all of it, but they left him to run the company. Now just today, there were allegations of a, a black employee who worked at the Things from Another World about, you know, just kind of systemic racism at Dark Horse. And, oh, God. Uh, and, and, and being specifically being treated with absolute, uh, uh, open racism by, uh, Mike Richardson's brother.
0: Wow. So, I hadn't yeah, heard and, this. Mm. Yeah,
1: I mean, it's just, there, Calvin, you can't keep up with it. Yeah, I, it. I, I, yeah you, I, it's, it's just startling. You can't startling. keep up with it. Uh, so, I mean, I'm seeing a lot of calls for... Well, cars, is, you
2: know. is Mike Richardson's brother actually involved in the running of the company?
1: I think he has some title at the company, yes. Maybe.
2: Okay. Well, I mean, if it was just like, and this person has a brother who's a scumbag, I would be like, well, I mean, that's bad, but whatever. But yeah, if he's if he's involved in the running of the company, then, you know, maybe... Yeah. Maybe he needs
1: um, to not. I'm not sure he is anymore, but I do know for a long time that he had a position at, at the company. So, um, And specifically, I think he worked at Things From Another World, which is the retail arm. So, you know, and I, I mean, I, I'm having a discussion with my own freelancers now about whether we should run stories about Dark Horse's books. And, um, you know, I, I honestly, Kate, I did say to them, I said, you know, uh, my take is – on this is you're hurting the freelancers. They're innocent bystanders to this yeah. and some of them are marginalized voices themselves and That's I don't think who. we should be hurting them by, you know, a press boycott of Dark Horse because they're not the ones who did it, you yeah. know? So but then I said I, I uh, you know, that's my take. I'm not sure that's even the right take. Well, mean- we should
0: certainly cover uh, the accusations. Um, but, I, I, I mean, I do agree with part of what, what what Heidi was saying, and it's not that we were abdicating any uh, a need for us to be involved, but that, I mean, that there's another generation that I think has a different perspective on this, because uh, I'm feeling that a little bit about myself now, even in the book publishing, as the book, as the book publishing goes through its uh conniptions uh, uh I mean this is an old story about uh publishing so white um and the book industry's been overwhelmingly white and undiverse uh ever since I was in it got in it <laughs> so that this, is not, a no. new, this is, is not No. Dad has
2: many it, years experience of this very no. thing
0: but there's a definitely a more there's an engaged lively energetic and super smart generation uh of uh, young, non-white and white um, uh, uh, people in the business that I just think bring a fresh perspective and energy to this topic. I mean, I'm of a generation, even though I, I, I'm i black, uh, you know, I'm from a generation that really has not been able to solve this problem.
1: And Calvin, I'm sure, you know, I come up in a generation where there were so few women. I was one of the very few mm-hmm. women in the industry. And you know, I think for both of us, I mean, we learn to roll with the punches. There's no yeah. question about it. I you mean, know, for sure, I did. And just, you know. You do. Not,
0: you find you a do. way to do the just, thing that you want done. Even yeah, if it, and, you get, you know, kind of brushed aside once or twice. Yeah.
1: And I mean, uh, you know, I think. Uh, you, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying we did it the wrong way. We did it how we were. Yeah, able we to did. it. Well, you know? yeah. but it's like uh, you work we, with what you have. We work with yes. what we have. And I, you know, if anything, I will say it's you know we do. We need these new vibrant voices. Absolutely. And I will give you one piece of advice, people. I mean, I look. I'm not going to say I'm a perfect person at all, but I will say at the beat, I'm very proud. We have writers from all different backgrounds we have different religions we have Mm. different genders we have different races we have everything you know i wish i had a rainbow coalition and (laughs) uh and guess what they're all great they're all so talented (laughs) so and then somebody asked me the other day how do you do you know oh i need to get more uh people of color writing for me i but i'm not sure how to do it and I'm like, well, you know, here's how you do it. You say you need writers. And then when you get people who aren't white, you hire them. Yeah. I mean,
0: <laughs> that's
1: how I do it. Okay. That's and, how I do it. And it works.
0: In, in this day and age, too, it's a lot easier to find potential, yes, you know, people absolutely. than, you know, when we started in this business and there was no such thing as social media yeah, uh, or blogging or even yeah.
2: if there wasn't. Even if there wasn't, just go to freaking New York Comic Con. See who the fans are. See who the writers are walking up and down those aisles. That's not an all-white crowd. You can't tell me that there aren't non-white creators and writers and aficionados and back scene workers chewing at the, chomping at the bit to, to, you know, go into positions of prominence. Like, when people are like, oh, there just aren't any that are, uh, and so all I can sure. say is, you must be freaking blind. Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely
1: true. Well, you know what? On that hopeful note, uh, and hopefully when we rejoin in uh, three weeks' time, we will have fewer stories of horrific abuse yeah. uh, about power dynamics uh, to talk about. So, But let's go back to... The lighthearted business of uh, you know, the comics industry being doomed. Uh so yeah.
0: You know, uh let's yes. talk about again. This yeah, is our topic cool. almost every week. So yeah, this everything. this is we're so back we're on firmer it, ground here. Yes. Yeah. Somebody
1: <laughs> always thinks Yes, that's so jolly. History. Let's go back to our jolly old uh, industry. Uh okay, no, I I mean honestly, uh I you know, this like all of this upheaval uh, and uh, and uh, reckoning is happening against a background of the industry changing so rapidly in the business side. So, Diamond, we've been talking about diamond all the time here for weeks and weeks weeks with their saga their covid diamond saga uh so this week a new little wrinkle in that steve Jeppy, the founder of diamond the owner of diamond um announced that he was taking over as president of Jeppy family enterprises now this is interesting because last year last early last year uh he formed Juppie family and enterprises as a company kind of a holding company for all of his businesses including diamond um, diamond select um, you know there's a whole bunch of little companies that he has that publishing company and so on that I can't remember the names of but anyway and then he hired a fella name of Stan Heidemann, formerly of Pepsi, to be the president of GPE. And and if you funnily enough, on his LinkedIn page, Heideman says he was brought in to modernize and clean up and streamline Diamond's operations. And I heard That's exactly what he did. We saw a bunch of old school employees depart, others given very strange new titles that really didn't make much sense, but okay. Uh, and then some people like, uh, Tim Lenahan and Chris Powell kind of elevated. So Heidemann came in and cleaned up, but now he's gone. Uh, Jeppy is in charge and we've been seeing him say that, uh, you know, he's going to run the company more. And yeah, so something happened in there.
0: Well, it, you know, it's very interesting because, um, uh, when I first saw this and I was, uh, talking about, uh, Jeffy taking back control, uh, of, uh, because, I mean, he, I mean, Jeff, uh, Jeffy hadn't retired, but he was obviously looking to kind of, you know, uh, I, I, I guess move into a less more operational, uh, directorship of the company. Um, uh, and, and I likened it, uh, to, I was talking about this with Jim Milliot, you know, our, the uh, PW's editorial director and business director. And I likened, and I said, well, it looks as though Jeffy just pulled a, a Lynn Riggio. which uh,
1: – <laughs> So that
0: gave Jim, uh, you know, a chuckle because, uh, and what I'm referring is to in 2016, Lynn Riggio, who, you know, was the founder and owner of Barnes & Noble for many years, uh, he retired. And uh, they hired a guy by the name of Ron Bohr to run the company uh and I think a year or two later uh he, they fired him
1: uh-huh. and
0: jeffy came out of retirement
1: Riggio you mean Rigio. excuse me
0: excuse me, yeah Riggio came out of retirement to take back the job and steer the company for about another year or two until they hired a new guy to take bard's place that's uh demos uh Paneros now they fired Paneros too about two years later, so <laughs> and and and, and riggio came back again to take over this thing. and he and he did and this was in 2018 and he ran the company up until until bnm was sold uh, uh to the uh, holding company that owns it now and you know and riggio you know took his leave so uh these founders uh they're obviously still you know relatively young even though they have headed up these companies for many years and the companies are in crisis and uh they you know they just like say okay you know i'm back
1: <laughs> yeah and i i mean i haven't because of all the the uh other stuff going on that we just talked about i haven't really had a lot of time to devote to covering the business side of things but but i checked back in today just with some of my retailer connections and um you know, remember how uh, about a month ago when DC announced that they were going with two new distributors, Lunar mm. and UCS, that, oh, you couldn't get the comics in Canada. The shipping was going to be so much it was going to destroy comics. Okay, well, guess what? They found a way to ship them cheaply to Canada. There you go. Uh, it wasn't that hard, okay? Yeah. It was well,
0: just people. Seems like a doable come- thing, yeah. Seems like a doable <laughs> thing,
1: and they figured it out. Uh, mm. Now, today, a very interesting story in The Hollywood Reporter alleging that Diamond is – Who's, you know, upping their shipping charges. And retailers, are, uh, Brian Hibbs is complaining about diamond I mean, shipping charges. So, you know, oh, there's... Oh, whoa,
2: is but, the comics industry. Although, yeah. that,
0: hasn't diamond shipping uh, cost and quality uh, kind of been a long-running uh, complaint anyway?
1: Yes. Yes.
0: <laughs> okay, okay. Same old, same old. Uh, <laughs> now,
1: you know what? I'm just going to throw this out here, but uh, I'm hearing that there are might be some bookstore companies stepping in, looking at comics distribution. I, I trust me. I'll I tell you, there will be more to come on this. I, I don't That's have anything solid enough to report, but I'll tell you this: as sure as I am sitting here talking on Skype video chat with you two, hmm. uh, by the end of the year, December, if there is a comics industry, which there will be, uh, we are going to the dis Distribution landscape at that point is going to look even more uh, different than it does today.
0: That's interesting. So uh, you're hearing that there's a a book distribution vendor that's interested in entering this market?
1: I've been hearing that for quite a while. Interesting. Uh, I mean it's it's
0: a somewhat eccentric market uh, for uh, book publishers, but who knows?
1: Yeah. Well, along the way with this, uh, the other huge news this week – was at Barnes and Noble, speaking of which. Um, in that they, they are kind of restructuring now. They got the, they have a new owner and a new fellow running it.
0: Yeah. And,
1: uh, they let go of all of the specialty book buyers, including Jim Killen, I who know. had been the graphic novel and science fiction buyer for like, you know, oh, now,
0: this. This all is mind boggling. They're letting the institutional memory, the knowledge of the category, uh, I find this, I just find it shocking. That they would yeah. let him. Go. I
1: mean, Calvin, you you spoke with Jim many times. you would known him for a long time, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I mean, what what was his import to the industry?
0: Well, I mean, well, I mean, Jim Jim bought across. I mean, science fiction was also his his area too, uh, and he's been doing this for what thirty years, forty yeah. years, or something. But he was there. I mean, Jim is really that the guiding being a main one of the main buyers here in New York. Of really steering Barnes and Noble into the the brave new world of, of book format comics, um, you know. Uh, now I'm, I'm sure there are other people there that had a hand in this, but you you can't uh, deny the the impact uh, that that Jim Killen had on on buying graphic novels, how they're marketed and presented uh, uh, in Barnes and Noble, the range of materials. Uh, I mean he's been there from the beginning. I mean we should also remember uh d- before comics really b- broke out in a big way in the bookstore market it was really in chain bookstores. Now Absolutely. Th- is where you went to find book format comics. Now, you know, uh, you know they were all stuck in the humor section and you know they only had a shelf or two or whatever. Um But it grew from that into what it is today, which is really, uh, what we, you know, what we used to dream about in the old days. You know, you can walk into a section of Barnes & Noble of floor to ceiling, uh, comics of all categories and genres. Uh so I I I but that
1: was Jim. Jim, I re, I I we have we to give him. Jim
0: Kellen yeah. some credit I, for that.
1: I gave him I ran into him at a San Diego like 5 6 years ago and he was telling me about how they were going to get larger sections, you yes. know, and and that the, the graphic novels did get a larger dedicated section Absolutely. in most stores and mm-hmm. the important stores. That was Jim and you know, uh uh there's a really nice if you want to know more about Jim Kellen, uh, Rich Johnson, uh the um you know, former book sales director for DC and, you know, at Line Forge and now uh, consulting. But anyway, he was very good friends with Jim, and he uh, wrote a piece called Who the F is Jim Killen? It's a really nice testament to his friend. But one of the things he mentions that Jim was also – uh, as you, uh, mentioned in, uh, the science fiction buyer. And, you know, he knew the authors. He was a fan. Yeah, he yeah. He was oh, yeah. a fan of the material. And I mean, it was, so he did it with love and knowledge. And, you know, authors, I was stunned by the authors who came out and, um, were just, you know, tributing Jim Killen. But, but anyway, uh, you know, he would have at San Diego every year, Jim would have breakfast with George R.R. R. Martin, uh, until, George R. R. Martin did get a little too big because of the whole Game of Thrones thing. But, you know, I mean, this is the level of person that Jim Killen was. You know, he he was beloved by authors. And and also, this is the craziest thing ever. But uh, this news broke this week. And, you know, at the beat, we've been breaking all this cover. I mean, not breaking, but covering all of these harassment stories, you know. And trust me, any headline that says sexual misconduct gets a lot of traffic. Yeah. But the number one post over the last month on the beat was Jim Killen leaving Barnes and Noble? Like by far, I don't even know where all the traffic came from. So people really cared about this.
0: Yeah, no. I it,
2: it crossed over to book industry people. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Um, because yeah, because you know Jim acquired prose as well as comics. So I mean, so uh, it's it's just hard to me to understand what what the advantage is to Barnes and Noble to not have so, this his expertise. But,
1: But, I mean, it wasn't just Jim. It was the other. Yeah, there uh, were many others. I mean, Calvin, do you have any insights about their new strategy?
0: No, not at all. (laughs) I mean, some of this is in response. I don't know whether this was planned all along. I mean, mean, Barnes & Noble, like everything else, uh, you know, has been under incredible uh, pressure from the pandemic, from lockdowns. I mean, most of the stores were closed uh, until very recently. Uh, though I, there apparently there is a, a curbside service, and Barnes and Noble is rolling out a new generation of store that's uh, redesigned. They're very pleasant, you know. Obviously with cafes and the like. Um, I'm not sure exactly what the title count will be. We seem to be in a new era, uh, where the superstore that we have come to associate with Barnes and Noble may not be the most effective way. Uh, uh, almost everyone talking about in-store browsing, browsability, uh, talks about having curated, you know, you don't have everything you have, what you think of as the best of everything. And if there's something you don't have that you should, then you just, you bring it in. So these new stores, I think will try to reflect that. So, uh, they're new, they're designed, they're very, very chic looking cafes, um, um and very you know just very open and pleasant to be in so I mean that's an ongoing strategy that I th- think this new guy Jim Daunt who's the new head of Barnes and Noble uh, yeah and he also runs the uh, uh, the wa- uh what is it Watersides in, Waterstones. Or, Waterstones excuse me I'm yeah, sorry thank yeah. you Waterstones in in the UK uh, and the to give you
2: thing. an idea guys Waterstones is like the British kind of like higher end cross between the old Walden books and, um, Barnes and Noble, and that their business model is they vary in size, everything from superstores down to small mall bookstores, but they're, they're pretty much like the premier bookstore brand in Britain. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, one thing Don does say, has, has said, is that he wants to give individual stores, uh, more power over, the kinds of books that they have, and, they, and this is part of what I was talking about, the, the, the curatorial aspect, uh, of running a bookstore. So, that may be a hint as to why the sort of, you know, uber buyers may not be quite as necessary
1: mm.
0: in the long run.
1: Yeah, yeah. well, definitely. But I still
0: of, say it's a big loss. Jim, it's it a, it is a, yeah. too, you know, too much knowledge of, of how the market works and how people buy. Things it seems to me to let him go, but
1: and you know, uh, listen, uh, just to throw this in there, I mean, Jim was one of the very few, uh, African American, yeah, you know. Uh, people of power in the comics industry are probably the most powerful after Calvin but um <laughs> yeah know, that's right. uh, I forget but it. I mean honestly it's also a loss that way I mean you know he definitely diversified the yeah. thing, you know and that's it just sucks it sucks 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 but you know Jim is an awesome person I'm sure he will he will find use of yes, I, his I, talents yeah
0: I think he'll land Um yeah
1: Okay, so just uh well, we've talked a long time, but there's a few other things going on um so uh by the time you see this podcast, well, a little uh sneak preview uh it'll be online later today, but uh, I wrote a story called a year without comic con for p w uh I think I might have mentioned I was working on this story last time, but anyway, I talked to a bunch of people I talked to showrunners including San Diego and new york comic con I talked to creators, I talked to publishers, I talked to buzz. The infamous buzz. Um, I talked to as yes. many people as I could. You talked with David Glanzer. <laughs> I talked with David Glanzer, yeah. And I talked with so many people just to see, you know, because we haven't addressed this, um, how, you know, like this is a, another huge revenue stream. Comic-Con's yeah. a huge revenue stream. And uh, I, I mean, there was – I learned a lot writing this story, you know, talking to people. And um, including how much money you could make at a show like major artists can make like five figures in one weekend, not even at a big giant show, like at a regular, you know, like wow. a mid size show. Yeah. You know, and um, like even regular run of the mill, well, I say run of the mill, but, you know, like set up at artist alley, like for the people who know how to do it, they can make like they make way more than they can drawing a
2: book. Yeah. You know, they can make like three to five thousand dollars a weekend selling so they may well find that their primary revenue stream is, in fact, the com- conventions, no uh, not, many, not many, the books.
1: Many do. Many yeah. creators have, and uh, if not the major, then it's you know absolutely a co-stream. And um, you know, I mean, publishers are just going online. Of course, I mean, we've seen that. I saw that in the library story as well. But um, I don't know, Calvin. What did you? Anything that your takeaway from the story?
0: um uh what well my takeaway from the story uh really is pretty much what you you know what you outline here uh that um you know this the, i mean i, I mean and we've known this all along i mean uh the, the Sa- comic con uh comic con international san diego uh better <laughs> known as uh comic con to us, uh, san diego comic con it is a you know a multi-dimensional platform for presentation and for commercial you know uh you know compensation of all kinds uh it's a beast um uh, and, uh, but uh, the ability for artists of all con- kinds to both to make money and to put their authors in front of their fans i mean i thought that was a highlight of the, the piece too i mean we know this this is a this is a prime platform for promoting authors, um, but it also allows you know because very often artists are uh, at the booth of their publisher, uh, but they're also at their own table in mm-hmm. Artist Alley, uh, so it's a, a you know they, in some ways there's a it's an ecosystem that allows them to connect with fans to generate income beyond actually the book that they're whatever book that they're working on. Uh, and and then all kinds of supplementary efforts that people talk about. You mean teaching drawing like, or showing? You know, uh, it, it just shows you what, what yeah. a complex ecosystem of presentation that the San Diego Comic Con uh, really is.
2: And not only that, but Comic Cons in general can also be can become a, a great way for creators to promote their backlist that maybe maybe they want to be picked up again, or maybe they want a sequel to that they can build bud buzz for projects that have been on ice for a while because you know you walk through artist Sally you see someone you like they've got a stack of some book that looks interesting yeah it came out two years ago but you buy it anyway it it really is a good way for creators to have some impact on their own presence
1: right and I mean it's absolutely that's what everybody talked about in the story is like you know like you need to have a good social media presence and you need to you need to you know have this boosted i thought it was interesting what andrea de Manaca said that she said that um you know a lot of publishers have are are. i mean jack cohen from Fantagraphics mentioned that you know they're they're doing a huge marketing you know three times the online marketing that they used to do um, but uh, andrea
2: But out that conventions that, that. do much the same thing
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh I, I, but it's not publishers already have the infrastructure to go online, but individual creators don't. You know, they mm-hmm. might not already have a uh, a web store that's really robust, or you know, a website
2: that's been updated. So um, yeah, and plus yeah. I mean, there's it lacks browsability. Like one of the great things about Comic Cons is the ability to browse artist alley and to trip over yeah. an artist or book that looks really interesting that you've never seen before, yeah. and you know, just Rousing the depths of deviant art is not going to do it it's not the same thing well it's yeah. a huge loss it's and, a huge and,
0: loss and 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 then um uh, consider a world where they've all been wiped out mm-hmm. you know the biggest one is gone but billy every, everyone they're all gone they're all gone <laughs> uh it's, it's really a def- devastating blow to uh you know, yeah. the support system for for, for artists, publishers, <laughs> and journalists, for that matter. And, you know,
1: and I, I thought that Christina and Mike, uh, Christina Rogers and Mike Armstrong mm. at Pop were, you know, really great. I mean, it was really great talking to them. But I will say that's one of the saddest conversations I've ever had. Mm. They were just so sad about not being able to put on shows. But they were very realistic about it's going to be a while before yeah. we have, you know, it's going to be a long time before we have cons that are the same size, as the same as they were. Yep. So, um, yeah. you know, yeah, well, more to come yeah. or
2: less hey. to come. Sure. So, I mean, there isn't a traditional Comic-Con and there isn't a traditional anime expo, but there are going to be some attempts to, you know, bridge the gap with digital cons, not just the digital version of San Diego Comic-Con, but also DC's Fandome. Skybound is also doing their own Expo Virtual Con um, and Funimation is doing their own con this weekend, which is free. It's actually it has already started. As you are listening to this, dear listener, um, it has already started because they are running starting on Friday. It's free. Just uh, you know, sign up ahead of time. Um, there are a lot of great options out there to at least at least get some of the programming and news and stuff that otherwise we're missing but it is still a huge loss yeah
1: it really is so let's end this on a so you know what let's end this on a positive note Kelvin mm-hmm. uh, yeah. there's another uh friend of the podcast who's got a great new position
0: yeah um Joe Illich uh formerly at Valiant uh formerly at uh a wave blue a, blue, a wave blue world I think he uh was he doing some editorial work at humanoids also I think so. Yeah, I mean, Joe gets around. So, um, yeah, so he is moving now to, to heavy metal. And what, I, now, what is exactly his title? His title? I don't have it in front of me.
1: I think he's executive he's an editor. Executive editor. So,
0: uh, so congrats, uh, to Joe. Uh, he's, uh, a dynamic figure in this industry. So I'm anxious to see, uh, the impact that he has on heavy metal. You know, a lot of
1: interesting things happening at Heavy Metal. They are a company that stayed really active during uh, COVID, and um, it'll be interesting to see uh, where that goes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, there will be
2: more to come on that. So,
1: all right, uh, guys.
2: I've got I've got two very brief briefs, um, listeners. You may be missing co- comic book movies, but you can actually see them in drive-through movie theaters, courtesy of Amazon free spider-man into the spider-verse and black panther are available as part of a people of color curated film festival playing for free at drive through movie theaters all over the country sign up to get your free tickets
0: so yeah is michael b jordan sort of curating this or something like that yes Yes, he is Mm -hmm.
2: and um the other is that scott pilgrim is in progress to become an anime
0: now this is cool. Ooh, that's that's cool. Really cool. I'm really kind of pumped about that. I think yeah, I am too. I Cause think Edgar Wright point. would be, is overseeing it apparently. Yep.
1: Yeah. So, so
0: that's major.
1: That is. That is, that on is. That yeah. So, uh, all right. Well, we've, we've come to the end of our podcast and if you have two, remember, leave us uh, a comment. Give <laughs> us a rating or leave us a comment. Uh, and also there will be more
0: Two come.